God's grace and mercy, it has its limit. And I believe for some who are walking upon this earth, perhaps they've already reached the point of no return. I don't know where that point is. I personally believe with every individual it's different. God knows those who will be redeemed and saved. He knows how far he'll have to take them to bring them to life-saving faith. But I believe that we definitely can reach a point of no return. And Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today we are looking at Romans chapter 2, the first 16 verses of Romans chapter 2. I titled this No Partiality. Romans Chapter 2, verses 1 through 16, divided it into three points. God judges in truth, verses 1 through 4. God judges in righteousness, 5 through 10. And God judges without partiality, verses 11 through 16. And so we find that there is hardened and impenitent hearts, but also indignation and wrath, verses 7 and 8. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Paul gives a, a second contrast now between believers and unbelievers. To the believers who patiently and continually do what is right, do what is good, they'll find glory, honor, and immortality, and in the end, eternal life. But to the unbelievers, those who are self-seeking and disobedient, they will only find God's indignation and wrath. Two Greek words at play here, indignation and wrath. Thumos is the uh, indignation. It speaks about a passion. So indignation here in the Greek, it speaks about a passion as if breathing hard a state of intense anger. He was so mad I could see steam coming out of his ears. I know we don't see that unless it's one degree out and you're outside when you're mad. You'll see some steam. But you know that it's this intense anger, but that intensity of anger usually doesn't last for any of us. But that is the sense of this Greek word here. There's an intensity of indignation Breathing hard, just furious. And then the second Greek word, orge, is the Greek word. 
and it refers to the strongest of all passions, impulses, desires. But here the thought is where thumos, that indignation, is an intensity of anger, but one that settles down after a while. Orge is an anger that has resolve with it. It's going to last. And we find it used again together as a pair in Revelation 19.15 when Jesus comes to judge the earth and it says now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that will he will strike the nations for he himself will rule with the rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness, thumos, that Greek word that means indignation, fierceness and wrath, orge, of the Almighty God. And so he comes with fury, as if breathing hard, intense anger, but then that orge, that wrath that is abiding, that continues on after the fury has settled down. So to the self-seeking, the disobedient, they will one day stand before a righteous judgment of God where they will experience God's indignation and his wrath. There'll be that, we might say, a hot fury, but a wrath that continues on even after the fury has settled down a little bit. And then they'll find tribulation and anguish, verses 9 and 10, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So here for a third time, Paul gives a contrast between believers and unbelievers. To the believers, those who works what is good will come glory, honor, and peace, whether a Jew or Gentile. But to the unbelievers, those who do evil, whether Jew or Gentile, will come tribulation and anguish. And so this word for tribulation, it means pressure to be crushed press in upon someone, uh, press in on our spirits. And then the word we have, tribulation and anguish. The anguish means a narrowness of room. When I was a kid, the house I grew up in, and then as I became an adult, it was like many of the homes here in Lake Villa, the older homes that used to be uh, the getaway cabins, yeah, that's what Lake Villa used to be for Chicago and Milwaukee. This is the place you would come for the mafia, if you know the history of Lake Villa around here, for gambling. went all the way into the 70s. But also the getaway for the lakes around here, the little cabins and those homes now that are being bought, especially some of the homes off of Deep Lake Road. You find some of those smaller homes that's been enlarged upon that was the home I grew up in. It was a very small house. It was built over dirt, and they remodeled it and made it a little bigger. But if you ever had to do any work underneath it, you had to crawl in that crawl space, and it was a crawl space. It wasn't one that you could actually bend down and stoop down and get around in. And there was a part of the house where you crawled through it, and I used to hate to go down there. Our pipes used to freeze. We had to go down there to thaw them out. And we had hot water heat. We'd lose the heat in the house, and we had to thaw the lines out. We eventually resolved the problem. But 
I would go down there to help repair things, and even as in my 20s, and then it was all my job. My dad never crawled around down there, but I did. There's a lot of spiders and a lot of webs, and you felt enclosed upon. I couldn't wait to get out. That's the anguish. You just feel that pressure, and you can't wait to get released from it. But the thing is, to the unbeliever, there'll be no release. There'll be the tribulation and anguish, but there'll be no release from it. Three times now, Paul has contrasted God's mercy and grace. And what the believer would receive in this contrast would be glory, honor, and peace. But the unbeliever, tribulation and anguish. God's grace and mercy, though, it has a limit with the judgment of the wicked in Proverbs 1, 27 through 31. He says, when terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, they will call on me and I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despise my every rebuke. Therefore, shall they not eat the fruit of their own way and be filled full of their own fancies? God's grace and mercy, it has its limit. For some who are walking upon this earth, perhaps they've already reach the point of no return. I don't know where that point is. I personally believe with every individual it's different. God knows those who will be redeemed and saved. He knows how far he'll have to take them to bring them to life-saving faith. But I believe that we definitely can reach a point of no return. And Solomon describes it here in Proverbs chapter 1, that they come to a point to when God brings judgment upon them like a storm, like a whirlwind, then in distress and anguish, they begin to cry out to the Lord. But at this point, it's too late. They cry out, but God does not answer. They seek, and he says, they seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and they chose not to fear the Lord and they would have none of his counsel. And the evil, whether Jew or Greek, will one day stand before the righteous judgment of God in great tribulation and anguish. But to the believer, those who patiently and continually work for what is good in God's sight, whether Jew or Gentile, they will find glory, honor, peace, immortality. I guess and in the end I said eternal life, but immortality. There can be eternal judgment and eternal life. So you can have immortality, but in an eternal state of judgment. And that is not life. And finally, verses 11 through 16, God judges without partiality. I'll read the verses for context. Verse 11, For there is no partiality with God, for as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles do not have the law, by nature do the things contained in the law. These, although they have not the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience, also bearing witness in between themselves, their thoughts accusing or 
else excusing them, in the day when God will judge the secret of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So finally, God judges without partiality, a Greek word that refers to without any favoritism, uh, no respect of person. And so it's without partiality. He'll judge in truth. And so the hearers and doers of the law, verses 11 through 13, there is no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. As many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in God's sight, but the doers of the law are justified. So verse 11 is a blanket statement. For there is no partiality with God. No partiality. Job his friend, Elihu, I was going to write it in my notes, I think that's who said this here in Job 34, 19, said, Yet he is not partial to princes, nor does he regard the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of his hands. God sees evenly, justly, and he'll judge accordingly. Deuteronomy ten seventeen, For the Lord your God is a God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. You know, God can use those let's make a deal prayers in our lives to work change in our hearts, but we're really not going to change God. God can use them. I know that he does because my dad made one of those prayers to the Lord prior to having heart surgery. And God reminded my dad a couple of years later that I've kept my side of the bargain, now you keep yours. And my dad surrendered to the ministry to be a preacher of the gospel. Prior to that surgery, he said, if you'll make me a good a man as I am today after the surgery, then I'll serve you all the days of my life. So we can make those deals with God, but God, you know, we can't bribe him. He is not going to show partiality. So Paul he presents two examples of God's impartiality. First, to the unbelieving Gentiles, since they have never known God's law, they will be judged without the law. So when an unbelieving Gentile goes to heaven, God will not hold up the Ten Commandments and say, why haven't you kept these laws? Because the individual would be able to say, I didn't know they existed. But to the Jew who has been given the law, God will hold up his commandments and ask the question. But to the Gentiles, even if they, without having the law, if they're found to be doers of the law, they will be justified in the sight of God. But to the Jew, even though they have the law and they are found not to uphold the law, they too will be judged according to the law. Romans 2.25, later on, he'll say to his Jewish brethren, For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So in both cases, whether a hearer of God's law or not, God will justify the doer of his law. Whether someone knows the law or not, if they are found doing the law, God will bring justification to that individual who lives, he said, having the word um, put in his heart. It, it takes us back to verses 18 and 19, 
that talks about the wrath of God suppressing the truth of God because, verse 19, what may be known of God was manifest in him. God put it, kind of a, a word that means to have this intuitive knowledge about God. God put it in our DNA that we should understand that there is a God. In James 1, through 25, he says, But the doer of the word, and not hearers only, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man that he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This is the one that is blessed that we need to be doers of the law. In verses 14 through 16, accusing and excusing. For the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law. These, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, that intuitive knowledge that God has given them, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves and their thoughts accusing or excusing them, yeah, I think these verses here deal with that often asked question. What about that person in Africa who has never heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or maybe it's South America in the deep jungles. Those without the law who by nature do the things of the law, it takes us back to chapter 1 again, that intuitive knowledge that he has given them in verse 19. But also verse 20, which says, For since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, that they are without excuse. I've heard stories of missionaries going into those places in Africa, whether in South America to the jungles, where in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the natives uh, one story I remember, and I can't verify if this is truth or not, but the natives finally saying to the missionary, we have always worshipped this God, but never knew his name, that he presented the name of Jesus Christ. What they were saying was God had revealed to them that there was a creator and a son. We just didn't know his name. I believe God works with those who have not heard, God is a just. There is no partiality. And because God shows no partiality, we can be assured that God will judge in truth and righteousness. Our three points that we have today, God judges in truth, in righteousness, and without partiality. In the day, verse 16, when God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Paul saying, according to my gospel, he's simply meaning the gospel that I preach. Paul wasn't saying that my gospel is right and no one else's is correct. It's my gospel and no one else's. He's just saying, according to the gospel that I present to you. And in fact, it's the same gospel in Galatians 1, 11 through 12. I won't read the verses now, but you can look them up. They're in your notes. It's when Paul went back to Jerusalem and presented himself to Peter, James, and John, and he and Barnabas shared the gospel that they were preaching to the Gentiles, and Peter, James, and John gave them the right hand of fellowship. It was the same gospel. 
that they were presenting to one another, to each other. It's found in uh, Galatians 1, 11 and 12. It says that he received the gospel not of himself, not of man, but from Jesus Christ himself. And in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, that he presented that gospel there to Peter, James, and John, Galatians 2, 9, and that they preached the same gospel. They had the right hand of fellowship. So the gospel that he preached, referring to the gospel that all the apostles presented and preached, it's what the church presented at the time. It's what we should be presenting now. We close with Paul mentioning the coming day of judgment for all mankind when God will judge our hearts the day that God judges. That judge himself will be, verse 16, Jesus Christ himself. Jesus said in John 5, and 23, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to his Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. But we can be assured that God judges. He judges without partiality in truth and righteousness. Paul, as I said at the beginning, as a prosecuting attorney, he's building his argument. And understand, we're in the middle of an argument here. And so he's not presented Christ He's starting to, but he hasn't presented Christ quite yet. We're in the middle of the argument, and the argument looks pretty bad, and he wants it to. Remember, I said he tried to make his net big in chapter 1, all caps, B-I-G, and in chapter 2, you need to increase the font on that. It's getting bigger. The point is to make his argument big, that it would take away the hope of all mankind. It almost seems at this point that he's promoting a works for salvation message, but very soon he will condemn all, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and then he will present the answer to the condemnation, Jesus Christ. And he will say in Romans 3.26 that God might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So knowing that this was kind of a bummer message in the sense of a lot of condemnation, and it is, remember, we just have to remember Paul's building an argument. We're in the middle of his argument right now. He's going to present Christ as we go deeper into Romans as our hope and our help. But on Friday... I saw an Instagram post by Franklin Graham of his dad, Billy Graham, from 1954, preaching, and I'm not going to do it like Billy Graham, I couldn't, but I want to read the words that Billy Graham said in 1954, but I'm not going to try to sound like Billy. <laughs> the Bible says, by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You cannot save yourselves. There is not enough goodness that you can do to save yourselves because you're guilty of breaking the law of God. There is only one thing that can be done, and that is to trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Now, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, 
He didn't die by accident. He died by design. It was planned by God for your redemption and your salvation. And that was the end of the snippet of Billy Graham on Instagram on Friday. We cannot save ourselves. It's a work that God has done through his son, Jesus Christ, and he offers salvation to all who put his faith, their faith in him. And I pray, Lord, as we journey through Romans this year, Lord, that you would help us to, if we are finding ourselves being conformed to this world that we're in, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be now transformed by the renewing of our minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that transformation process, we know, Lord, begins with faith, faith in the work of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that in the hearing of my voice, that we all know you as Savior. But if not, Lord, we offer that opportunity to anyone who would like to be saved. Pray, Lord, that you would be with us now as we worship, as we take time to wait upon you now. In the name of Jesus, amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today. And may the Lord richly bless you as you worship him today.